Bill is a failed skydiver and a bear sometimes he runs. Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP Town Hall. Ben created Eye on Off, he's a comic book fanatic. Phil made Pyro CMS, he's probably in a kayak. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP. Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP, Town Hall. Welcome to episode 49 of the PHP Town Hall podcast with your host, Ben Edmonds, Phil Sturgeon, with our guest, Chris Bowden and Christopher Pitt, who we will now call Maple Syrup and Pitt. Chris, introduce yourself. I'm sorry, you didn't call me Maple Syrup. <laughs> I thought that was me. <laughs> uh, Pitt, introduce yourself, please, sir. Uh, my name's Chris. I work at a company called Silverstripe in Wellington, New Zealand, which is a million miles from anywhere. Uh, and we work on open source, and that's kind of what I spend most of my time doing, is open source stuff. So the question I really need to answer now, though, is do you have maple syrup there? Uh, no, we don't. No. Not that I know of. I mean, maybe there is in a shop or something, but it's not from here. Clearly, land. clearly, this is some sort of inside joke that I'm missing. I assume the other Chris would be Maple Syrup Chris. So you should probably introduce yourself, Mr. Maple Syrup. I, I'm Chris from Chris Bowden, and I live in Canada, and we love our maple syrup up here. Uh, these days, I spend working mostly for just different customers. I'm very jealous of Pitt getting to work on open source all the time. Right, this is a, this is the driest start to any show ever. Are we all awake to have coffee? What time is it in South Africa? Are we currently at night time? I don't know what's going on. Uh, I think South Africa is about 10 or 11 hours uh, behind where Why I am now. Why do we care about South Africa? Oh, not South Africa. Yeah, sorry, you're in New Zealand. Uh, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening. I remember. I saw you there. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I've, I've no idea what's going on at any given time. Um... So, I'm noticing that, that Chris, uh, Chris Bowden has got a pretty cool elephant back there. Who else has got elephants floating around their office? Because uh, there seems to be only two of us so far. Oh, you've got plenty. Wait, what's, what's that for? Oh, this is the True North PHP Mammoth. So, those who went to oh. True North PHP in Toronto, uh, courtesy of Peter Meth and Chris Hartjes, uh, got a woolly mammoth elephant. And I've also got one sitting back there. As everybody listening to the podcast can see, um, <laughs> the woolly, woolly mammoth is by far the best one so far. I'm well impressed. I know the elephants are, are kind of potentially a little bit silly, but um, I've got like five of them, and I, I really like them. Uh, and definitely, definitely, woolly mammoth is is a winner so far. I have not won elephant. No, Me either. That's uh, well. That might have been because you spent too much time in South Africa, where they don't have a postal system. Um, I hear they're getting one now. Which That's is true. <laughs> we've yeah. We've just I mean, when they get angry, when they get angry, they just put all the posts on a single pile and walk around it so people can't get to it. <laughs> right. When we were doing made in production about a year or two ago, we just didn't bother shipping to South Africa because not a single one of them got through. I think we sent like seven or eight packages, and yeah. we never heard from any of them ever again. Uh, we had to give out refunds, and I assume that there's some. Postal workers wandering around in double claw t-shirts. Who knows? But a bunch of, uh, bunch of really bastards. Really appreciating the joke. 
<laughs> they don't care at all. And they're like, this is really thick cotton. This is a hot country, and I don't know what it says on my phone. This is, I'm, it's free, yeah. though. I'm keeping it. <laughs> Bastards. Uh, what are we here to talk about today? Anyway, you, you two are super involved with doing async stuff. So you've done a very short introduction, but if we could start with Canadian, Chris, could you, um, could you talk about kind of your, your asynchronous credentials and, and why you know about async? Uh, sure. So a long, long few years ago, uh, my boss came up to me and said, so I made a promise to the client that we can do everything in real time, and we're a PHP shop, so figure it out. Uh, this was back in 2012. None of that shit existed, so I was like, ah, this can't be that hard. So I started, uh, it was a WebSocket, started to do WebSockets and realized it, no one done it before, and it was really hard. Uh, so we eventually got through that, um, and uh, long story short, I teamed up with a guy named Igor Weedler, uh, who at the time did Silex, and he started taking interest in this, and the two of us created React. And what that React is, is a sw- series of different small libraries that does async in PHP both server client and a bunch of tools to kind of help with async development because it's a different paradigm, different way to program. And for me, that propped up what I was trying to do with um, WebSockets. And it's kind of grown from there. Uh, We have a lot of contributors now and a few different people who have taken over different core libraries and had a lot of uh, users build some really cool things on it. All right. Sweet. Uh, Chris Pitt, how are you interested or involved in async? So uh, I basically have no uh, no significant open source contribution to <laughs> to any kind of async libraries, but uh, I'm very uh, interested and have been following the work of Chris and Eagle and all the other projects that do async stuff, uh, and talking about it a lot of conferences and writing about it and tutorials and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it. Um, what are your, both of you, experience with async outside of PHP? Do you just use async in PHP, or do you um, also venture out to Node and things like that? So I have done a little bit of Go, um, which has a very interesting concurrency model. I've done a lot of Node uh, JavaScript development, and uh, there's a lot of stuff there that I think we're just learning about in PHP land. Um, yeah, I, I think mostly those. It's if you've done a lot of browser programming, then then async is is a lot more familiar, and doing uh, doing event loop based stuff comes quite naturally. Um, but if you've just done a lot of PHP, it's perhaps quite a foreign concept. Yeah, uh, while while Canadian Chris was talking, I went a little went a little quiet for once. And um, I was trying to find uh, which episode you were on before. You were on episode seven back in uh, May 2013, Chris. That's a bloody long time ago. Um, so yeah, one of the that was the first... before we were professional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was before we, we got all this professional kit. And uh, actually, oh, no, I'm on a I'm on a snowball today, which is quite nice. I stole it from my boss's desk. He doesn't know. Um, but yeah, back on episode seven, and we, we talked a lot about uh, like React and Ratchet and a few of these other things. Uh, basically, some of the first um, async tools, but there's, there's plenty of stuff around, and async a, a general term, I know, but kind of uh, looking into providing um, event loops in PHP and, and you know systems like uh, uh, WebSockets and, and HTTP clients that can handle you know synchronous requests, um, or asynchronous, uh, parallel requests, whatever. 
so could you just, we've obviously got episode 7 for those that want to hear a lot more, but uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, Ratchet and React and, and how they differ? Uh, sure. So just to make a small clarification, there's the difference between parallel execution and asynchronous. So what asynchronous is, is sorry, I'm going to take a step back. A problem we have uh, with computers is time. Everything takes time to do, uh, but how much is the question? So if you, you know, execute a for loop that's 100 times, it takes a very small amount of time. Let's say, you know, 5 milliseconds. I'm pulling that number out of my butt. But if you make a request to another server and then wait for the response back, that amount of time is so slow in comparison to whatever it would take you to do on your machine, even the slowest language. So the idea behind async is that while... A cert, something another machine you're communicating with over the network is doing its thing, your script continues executing until it wants to hear the response back. So that is the premise of what async computing is, whereas parallel is your computer is doing two things at the same time. That's parallel computing. Um, so what React is, is it's a series of components, uh, the event loop, the streams, the socket server, that will handle, as both as a client and a server, um, asynchronous I.O. So your script can continue executing things while it's waiting, while it's no longer waiting for I.O. that's either being written or read from a destination. Um, and the, the big difference between React and Ratchet is React is a low-level series of libraries that help uh, that do async I.O. or provide tools to do uh, programming in an asynchronous way because the style you have to write is slightly different. Uh, whereas everything about Ratchet is WebSockets. So we have a WebSocket client, a WebSocket server, and then some libraries of tools that work within the context of very specifically WebSockets, and those are built on top of the React library. Um, for anyone's interested, Phil actually wrote a fantastic article about why async matters and why PHP is not as far behind as everyone thinks it is. Uh, CodeSwallop, I think it was called. Great article. <laughs> yeah, it's called uh, benchmarking. Kiss and ask, Chris. It won't help you come back again. <laughs> Damn. Well, you need to kiss us more, and we won't wait another twelve episodes to get you back. That's uh, that's how this works. Um, <laughs> yeah, I pretty much did an article called "Benchmarking Codswallop," which was uh, someone just kind of trashing PHP for being ten thousand times slower than Node.js or something like that. And it's quite often that you hear people say things like this, where you know, Node.js is magic, goes, you know, whatever, it can do a million things faster. Um, PHP can also do those things. It just depends on the approach. So if you have a for loop and you have file get contents and you say get the first page and wait for it and then get the response and do the second page and wait for it and then that's obviously a lot slower than saying like okay let's try and see how many pages we can get at once and <laughs> we'll do some of these at the same time and we'll we'll um, use some async logic to kind of do as much of this as we can uh, while we're waiting for responses to come back so um, once once uh, Node.js and PHP were tuned to use the same number of con um, simultaneous connections, uh, the speeds were exactly the same. So um, it's it's a common thing that leads me on to the next point. Like it's it's very common that people just think you can't do this stuff in PHP, and it's mostly because people don't really use async stuff that much. Like when they're building components or when they're building frameworks, there's not much uh, asynchronous logic in there. It just doesn't really happen. And I know. That may well be because it requires libraries, right? Something like Node.js can require any sort of Unix or whatever libraries that it needs to, to get its job done, but PHP is usually throw install PHP or yum install PHP and you want everything to work from just that. So 
Um, do you think that's that's why we don't see much uh, async stuff around um, other Chris? Uh, or, or what's your theory on, on why why it's just not happening? I think it's just because, as you say, like the libraries aren't doing it because it's not generally required. Um, it, you do have to write in a, in a slightly different way to get async to work. But if you look at approaches from uh, from projects like AMPHP or Icicle IO, uh, they they build on top of generators to make an interesting kind of programming construct called coroutines. And these code with these look very similar to code without them. Uh, you know, you'll see a lot of yield keywords, and in other languages like C sharp, um, you'll have await and async keywords which generally are in the same places and look like they do the same things. And it's kind of because of how generators work. It, it converts processing um, in a normal like top-down script into a set of steps like, like an iteration. Like instead of stepping through data in an array, you're stepping through instructions in a program. And the waiting that happens, um, you know that network I.O. that Chris Burden was talking about, that, that you would usually wait for in asynchronous requests just gets interpolated so that you're starting to do asynchronous operations with code that looks very much like synchronous code. So libraries like that make it cooler. Like they reduce the gap between the synchronous code that you would write or asynchronous code. Um, but yeah, it, it is a slight step away from traditional PHP, and there's not a lot of best practice out there. There are only a handful of projects who are doing it really well and are popular amongst people who do want to do async stuff, but in, in terms of the size of the community, it's not actually that popular a concept yet, just because it's it's so different from traditional code. Ben, in your adventures, have you run across uh, any, any async stuff in other languages that you use? Have you used like Ruby or Python much? can't remember. Yeah, so we use a lot of Node. Um, so most of my async's been in Node, which is fairly native the way Node is structured. Not really anything special there. Um, one question I'm kind of interested in, and I believe we covered this with Chris Bowden last time, but um, why would someone want to use PHP for async versus using something like Node or Go or something that's kind of more native to the language? Um, well, I, I can I can think of times I've used it, um, which, uh, which I'll talk about, but I think that there's a lot of benefit to being able to use code you've already written in PHP. Like if you're going, if you're, if you've got a big legacy app and you want to um, cut down on waiting time or you want to increase parallel execution in your app, it's a lot easier just to introduce some asynchronous code into it to do concurrent processing, for instance, than it is to rewrite the whole app in Go or Node. Um, if you've got something like a microservice architecture then it's a bit easier. Like if your business logic is split up over multiple services and they've all got APIs and stuff, then that's a bit easier to swap out to a different language. But if you've got tons and tons of PHP code that you use already and you just want to make some of it take less time, then then doing it there is a good idea, I think. And that's the times that I've used it has been have been because of that. Like for instance, we've got this. Um, We've got this small internal app that reviews the code of community modules for Silverstrap, and a lot of it's just making requests to GitHub and waiting for that stuff to finish to resolve. You know, and if you do all of that in series, it takes a lot of time. But if you parallelize the requests to GitHub and you parallelize the requests to do file-intensive scanning or conversion to PSR2, then 
it goes from like three hours to go through all the modules down to like half an hour, which is which is significant improvement, but without replacing the whole application in a different language. So what about you, Phil? Uh, what are your experience with it, and why would you maybe use it in PHP versus another language? Uh, I'd probably have to agree with with uh, Chris Pitt on this one. Like it's it's one of those things. Language choice is something I think we've talked about a fair bit on the PHP Town Hall podcast because at the moment I use a bunch of different languages and have done for a while. And um, it's there's usually like a lot of things that go into it. If it's if there's a team of developers that know Go or that really want to know Go and you have the time to learn it and everything else, then the Go becomes an opportunity for a, a potential language that you can use. Right? If you have a tight deadline and no one knows how it works, then trying to learn a brand new language and a brand new toolkit is 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 too many things. So uh, if you just need to do, if you need a little bit of, you know, async stuff in your code base, then shoving in a little bit isn't that bad. You still have the same language, and all you have to do is kind of work out the concept of how event loops work or how how the you know library works itself. So um, I actually haven't used uh, Ratchet or, or React myself beyond the proving some idiot wrong on the internet because I had nothing better to do that day. Um, but you know, I definitely would. Like, if I if I needed to get this stuff done in PHP, I totally would. And and as we move more towards service oriented architectures, it and you know, kind of away from the the big old singular PHP monolith that does everything, we, we start to get these little services here and there. And and sometimes you just have things that that need to be incredibly fast, right? So in the past, I used something that's quite similar to some of uh, React, and it's um, what's it called? Tornado. You guys know this one. Mm -hmm. um, Tornado in Python is a really cool little micro framework, and everyone makes fun of PHP because it has a thousand frameworks. But to be honest, Python has just as many. But they they actually do different stuff in very different ways, which is awesome. Um, so Tornado is basically a micro framework which is asynchronous first as its goal, and you have to make sure that any coding you do inside it is also asynchronous but there is a lot of tooling to help you along that goal, right? You can still put blocking code in there, and um, and that, that that would be bad and slow it down. But we were using uh, we were using Tornado to subscribe to the Instagram Live uh, Live API, so it was just we were like subscribing to certain tags, and it was just battering us with data. Now these days I might use other tooling, but at the time it was quite nice to expose a kind of a callback URL and have Tornado try and just consume as much of that incoming data as possible. Um, and then it was inserting it into Postgres, which was the wrong tool for the job. I'd probably use like Elasticsearch River now or something. But um, it was just really nice that basically, without having to do a lot of complicated load balancing and set up really complicated systems, we just had this one quite large instance um, of, of Tornado that would queue up all of the incoming requests. And then during little lulls, it would kind of work on the backlog. So actually, all of the incoming requests were being queued. And then it would process them asynchronously as, as quick as it could. Um, and that stuff is really cool. Now, I wouldn't want to build an entire e-commerce system in, in Tornado just because it has that cool feature. But I would definitely like to build that service that subscribes to the Instagram feed for that. And you can use other small little services like that you know, for specific purposes. You can totally do that with React PHP. It would be great at doing that. Just to echo, I think what all three of you said, um, when someone asked me, like, oh, should, why should I use PHP for this? It wasn't meant for it. Well, when PHP was created, it was meant to be a templating language. It's <laughs> not a templating language anymore, guys. And the other argument I use is, on top of what Phil just said, like he said about um, Tornado, Python and Ruby and Java were all created as synchronous languages. 
and they adopted and became uh, had asynchronous tools to them. Uh, a, a selling point of Node is that you can't do anything that's blocking in it. Like it's not possible. Uh, so you, the user really has to be aware if they're using Java, Ruby, Python, or PHP to make sure that they don't do blocking. Whereas it's something you don't have to think about in Node, which is a, a bit of a selling point for it. But the other point of PHP is, well, we already know all of this. It's easier to use this language than it is another one. Um, when I first started uh, doing a bit of work for, for Ben, uh, I remember one of the requirements was, well, we need we want to have this feature with this real-time doing the web sockets and the spinny thing. And it's like, well, how would you do this? I'm like, well, for that many users, you know, I'd use you know a message queue and have it out like this and this and that. He's like, well, can you get a prototype done in a day? Oh, I, I'm just going to do PHP. And I, I was done in a day. So the development time was, you know, really, really short for it, and that was why I chose to use it in that case. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but you raised some, like, a really good point about the fact that in Node.js, all of the tooling, all of the everything is built kind of async first, and to, to actually block it is quite hard, right? You have to really try to be like, yo, wait. Um, in other languages, yeah, especially like in, in Tornado, like I mentioned, and this is definitely the exact same problem in PHP, is that even when you get something like Tornado or React um, that are designed to provide you with kind of asynchronous interactions and, and a few asynchronous um, operations. Uh, the second you install your other favorite PIP or, or composer package, unless that's built with you know uh, asynchronous stuff in mind, then you're going to start blocking immediately, and that's that's really unfortunate. Like Tornado had to build an extension to this. I can't remember what it's called. Some really popular. Python ORM. They actually kind of built a fork or an extension that would make sure that it it would try to like uh, I can't I can't remember what it did, but it would make sure that if you're doing like loads of inserts, then in the background it would try to like put those into the database, you know, as as asynchronously as it could. Um, but you can't wrap every single popular gem and every single popular package. So you'll get to the point where people are like, oh, I'm going to give this I'm going to give this async async thing a try, right? And they have their kind of in, uh, incoming and outgoing request response might be asynchronous, but then everything in the middle, like the slow shit, is going to be blocking everything, and they're like, oh, I didn't notice any speed gains, sod it, it's all a bunch of nonsense. How do you get around that? You say that, but you can you can wrap every popular German package in in async. You can, quite easily. Um, so there there is this problem, and you, you can do... Well, I sound a bit like Trump now, but you can do... <laughs> do it's gonna be great. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. Okay, so um, you, it is difficult, like you say, to do blocking stuff in Node, but it is possible to do blocking stuff in Node. Like it's possible just to have really computationally expensive loops, for instance, or if you're doing an imagery size or something. I don't know, as an example. And one of the ways around doing this, like if you're not using a standard async API, one of the ways around this blocking stuff is that there is a child process library in Node. So you can fork a child process, and you can do intensive stuff there, and there are events to get data back to your main thread. And this is how you would get around like a really intensive thing that wasn't one of the standard async uh, APIs in Node. And there are these things in PHP as well. So you can um, Icicle, for instance, have a package called Concurrent, which uses the same coroutine thing, but uh, spawns a child uh, process using the PCNTL extension or pthreads, if either of those are installed. Um, and so you can send some blocking stuff, or like requests to a package that isn't async, to a different child process, and get events back to get that data back into your main thread. And you can do the same. Um, 
there's a Kasian uh, uh, Kivit or Wiry Haximus on Twitter um, has been working on a child process pool thing for React as well. So you can do exactly the same thing there. And all these libraries are getting, um, all these projects are getting these concurrency libraries, which basically do child uh, process forking. And and that way you can wrap, you know, whatever package, even if it's not async, you can wrap it in a different process and return significant stuff from it asynchronously. So you're not going to block your main thread. Yeah, that's true. And as long as that stuff gets nice and easy to use and people know they need to wrap their, you know, chunk of code in that, then that's great. But the, the, what I'm foreseeing is people just try and code in the exact same way in, in their asynchronous controllers or whatever the, they are. And that's when you lose the benefit. Like, you need to... You need to make this stuff really easy um, so that, you know what I'm getting at? Like, if, if people have to do an extra step to to become asynchronous, then a lot of the time they won't bother doing the extra step. And, and, and documenting that process becomes really hard. Like, trying to make it so easy they don't have to think about it at all is maybe a fool's errand, maybe not something we need to worry about. But um, it is it is hard to kind of document the change in mindset of, of how you do this because people just want to. It's really hard to pull people away from procedural programming. You give them an MVC controller, and their controller just becomes a new procedural file with one single massive fucking thing in it, right? And trying to move people to a different architecture is 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 tough. Um, how do you get? Yeah, that's on the that? real problem is mindset. I would say because like with Node, it's just the mindset built into the community. You know, all the libraries, all the packages, everything you do with it is kind of done. It'd be like trying to go from, you know, PHP to functional programming. It has such an obviously different syntax that you know it's a different mindset. But if you try to still use PHP, you have to approach the problem as the architecture needs a different mindset. And that's really, I think, the problem there, is that you realize it's not just a syntactic problem, it's not a library problem, it's an architecture mindset problem. You know, it's a workflow. How do you follow the flow of this pattern that you need here? Education is really very difficult. And... Not, it's hard. It's hard to showcase that uh, what's needed to think differently. And exactly like you said, Ben. Like if it's functional or async, if it's something, it's if if it's a different paradigm that a use a developer hasn't experienced yet. It's hard to educate them on that. And for me, like when I was learning this, it was hard for me to comprehend what async really was, like what non-blocking I/O meant. So like it seemed like oh, that's easy. It goes and does stuff, and I program. But uh, it had to change completely how I how I thought and worked on things. So yeah, uh, like I still run into even like JavaScript pro- programs that just don't handle callbacks correctly. Like they do something and they try to do something else on the next line. And it's like, no, you got to wait until that's done. And yeah, on your local, it might be done by the time you get to the next line, but that's not always going to be the case. You have to really wait until you get that back. So it's not even just that Node's easier. It's just most people more educated there. It's a problem in the mindset no matter what language you use. It's, it's like trying to teach someone a new programming language without being able to say, you've got to stop thinking in that other programming language, right? Because it's part of the uphill of learning a language that has async built into it. Like, if you learn Node, you start learning the language and getting into that mindset at the same time. But if you're trying to tell people who already know PHP, this is still PHP, but you've got to think about it completely differently as if it was a new language, that's harder to do. You know, people are holding on to the baggage of the PHP that they've learned already. Mm. Yeah, that's very fair. If, if you're doing something like, uh, if you're learning Node.js or, or Go, you can kind of write it just like PHP. You can write these you know, top-to-bottom gross files with uh, uh, like iceberg class controllers, and, and they're kind of gross. Um, 
But if you're learning like idiomatic Go and you're putting effort into following the screencasts and, and reading the tutorials, then all the way along it's teaching you to use channels and subroutines and all these things that just make your program a shitload faster. They just you just learn those as the way to do it. And yeah, the PHP has we still have, you know, W three schools saying use MySQL query to get your stuff even though it's been ripped out of the latest version of PHP. So kind of it's like turning um it's like turning the Titanic but just even slower. And uh, it, it hit the iceberg bloody years ago, and it's still just going in the same direction, slowly sinking. Uh, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Uh, yeah. Sinking. Uh, uh. Oh, that wasn't that wasn't a thing. I should, I should pretend it was a thing. Um, Chris, you were saying uh, Chris Bowden, sorry, you were saying something earlier about uh, how you were originally very confused about kind of what async was and what non-blocking was, and now you understand it. It's it's great when you have these eureka moments. Um, how would you help? somebody else have that eureka moment like if you had a time machine and you could go back in time and talk to like little younger chris little little younger like fewer wrinkles around the eyes chris like, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just working on my own issues i've noticed some cracks today um how what would you say to yourself in the past to help you understand async and, and like blocking and non-blocking when you didn't previously understand it Ooh. i i would uh Gosh, I don't know how to explain to myself. I, I try to do when I, uh, I speak at conferences. Um, it's just, I don't know, I teach myself a lot of functional programming because I found that when I did a lot of async stuff, but I was still trying to do it in a very OOP state mutation way, but like I found that after I'd, I learned it and handled it, and after I actually kind of started learning functional programming, which is a different thing than, um, than async, I kind of understood concepts better. Um, but yeah, just I tell myself, you know, forget what you know, and you know, kind of embrace it. Don't try to mold that that architecture or that paradigm into your way of thinking. Mold my way of thinking into that paradigm instead. Like, just be more open and embrace what it is than trying to fit it into me. Yeah, so I guess um, that's a good point. Functional and async are kind of somewhere in the way of state control, right? Because you just have to you have to pass state along to the next thing. You can't just assume there's a general state that you can access. Mm -hmm. mm. It's, it's actually the thing that I find interesting about uh, about generators or, or like making coroutines in PHP. Um, it, it, it is not. It, it is all about not getting like some final value immediately, but but executing a little bit of processing at a time. You know, checking is the network I/O done and. and you know, going through the full response of it, or if it's a piece of it. Um, for me, like bridging that gap between iterating through functionality and iterating through a set of data is is very similar. I mean, it's 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 really interesting, Chris, about um, learning functional programming because I think that that might also have helped me understand it. You know, if I'd if I'd done more functional programming to begin with. That might have made it a lot easier to understand, or if if things like AMPHP or Icicle were around ten years ago, that might have made it really easy to understand and to bridge that gap between iterative processing um, and and async. So, bah, words are hard. Uh, yes. So doing wow, I really can't talk. <laughs> Functional programming and async have uh, have a bunch of stuff in common, right? It's like you've been saying. It's it's really interesting because. 
basically an async. You're like, when this is done, go and do this thing, or do as many of these things as you can uh, in a certain time. So there's a lot of callbacks and a lot of kind of passing things around instead of instead of using the OOP approach and you know just trying to build a single object reference every single step and passing objects into more things. Um, so it's a bit different. But one one way one language that does do uh, a lot of async in a in an interesting way is in Hack, right? So could you, you're talking about the difference, you're talking about functional programming over there, but the way that hack, one of the ways that hack provides um, uh, asynchronous programming is that you can just bang an async keyword into a method, right? I've never played with that. Have you two done any anything with the hack async stuff? And how does that differ from the usual somewhat functional-ish approach? Uh, I've done a very small amount. Um... So I just see it as a different way of doing things. Like you can't just bang a keyword in and it's going to work. What those, what live, and I've been watching their progress. Um, each each component, for lack of a better word, or function that you can bang an async keyword on means it's already um, they've already done the work under the hood to make sure it can work asynchronously. Uh, so, like, their first was MySQL. So if you banged an async word against MySQL, it first wouldn't work. Uh, in each and one of their earlier versions, they made sure it worked, so it could work synchronously or asynchronously. So your syntax doesn't change the way you interact with it. So you could say, you know, MySQL query, and it would block until that query responded. Or you could say um, async or await. I forget the syntax again because it's relatively new to me. It's uh, C sharp style, and then it would execute asynchronously because Facebook took the time to make sure that that function call could be executed synchronously or asynchronously. Um, and it's the same way of... It achieves the same functionality as the different ways... It's another way of doing async. So syntactically it's different, but functionally it does the same thing, where this I.O. is executed until I want to wait for the response. So a wait async or a coroutine or a high-order function um, all achieve the same thing, just in a different way of doing it. Uh, and the way you look at it conceptually might be easier to you if it's what you're used to, or if it you might understand it better if just your style of learning it might make it easier for you. Okay, um, Chris, did you have anything to, to add to that? Uh, no. <laughs> the most fun, the most, the most fun part about writing uh, asynchronous code, I think, in like in developing those libraries, is actually getting to the point where you could just slap an async on it. Yeah. Um, you know, working on something tiny like a caching li- a caching library. These Kiwis pronounce it caching. It's weird. <laughs> I know. Um, working on something, working on something as simple as like a, a tiny in-memory cache library is is far more complex than you may imagine if you're trying to make it usable in in like an async await or coroutine yield situation, because you've got to you've got to do that underlying stuff. Um, yeah, that, that's that's kind of the fun part about writing async code. I think um, once you get it to that point, people can use it synchronous or asynchronous or whatever. Yeah, yeah I think that's the point. Someone's got to do the hard work, right? None of this, none of this is magic. Even when you smash a smash a async keyword in the front, it's just that is. Uh, <laughs> I can see Bowden over there chuckling. Um, so yeah, like when you when you put that that keyword at the front of a method, it just means like this this method is going to be a wrapper which will attempt to run asynchronously. But if the shit you've got in there isn't actually ready, then uh, yeah, we're all just laughing because Chris is getting shouted out. I was going to mute him a second. Um, yeah, so like the async is essentially a wrapper, and then the stuff you do inside that still needs to be asynchronous. So either either 
the, the tool creator has to make sure it works in a certain way, the language creator has to make sure it works in a certain way, or the user has to make sure it works. And, and either way, someone's got to do the hard work, but uh, at the end, everyone benefits. Um, I've, I've muted Chris, but now I can't unmute him, so he's, he's just gone for the rest of the show. Uh, Hi. Oh, there he is. Hello. Nice, nice try, Phil. <sighs> yeah, you'll have to wait another 40, 42 episodes. We'll get you back. Um, I was going to move it along a little bit because uh, we're a little bit dry on the, the async questions on Twitter. Um, we have a whole eight viewers, though, so that's nice. Um, if our sponsors are listening, we have 9,000 viewers. Um, Send us money. Please. please, please. I don't want to have to keep stealing my... Still has taxes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've paid my taxes off, actually. Um, like, completely? Let's talk about that. Got that's that's out. Yeah, yeah, no, I got the whole, got the whole like, tax situation like sorted out. 2013 is paid, or like 2013 through 2015 is paid? So 2013 I paid off at the start of 2014, um, right. which was a, a mess up of my old employers. 2014 I just didn't pay any taxes at any point, and I have now paid that all off, which is nice. Right. Um, and For all the countries you owe taxes in? Only in, uh, only only United States. I don't know, I don't know the UK anything, which is nice. They haven't asked me to do it, and I won't bother. Um, I, I am slightly concerned that I only have two weeks until my 2015 taxes are, are, are due, but um, I've got some. I've got a very good person working on that, and because I've paid two and a half years worth of taxes this year, I get to use all of those as a deduction against taxes this year, and they'll probably owe me money by the end of this. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. So you're are you still going to be running out your home and you know? No, no, no. I've I've actually done. I'm all done with Airbnb now. I've I've got I've got a really awesome person there at the moment. I was uh, hang on a second. This is kind of funny. I was butchering a turkey this morning, as you do. Um, and I was like, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> so I've got a slow cooker recently, and I've been working on I've been working on uh, like making chilies and stuff, and like doing really fun stuff. So I wanted to do a I wanted to do a a turkey chili. And the only meat they had at the supermarket was these like massive like thighs and drum legs. So I'm there trying to like hack it up with a with a butcher's knife, and my Airbnb guest is sat on the sofa watching me, just laughing. Um, and she's just like takes a little video and she's like giggling and she's like Chinese girl doesn't speak any English, and she just like pushes me out of the way and just starts hacking this turkey. <laughs> so my current Airbnb guest is awesome, and we butchered a we butchered an animal together this morning. Um, but she is my last one for a while. It's. Uh, I'm now I'm now financially unfucked, so that's quite nice. Wow. And I'm going to start. Actually, I am going to start part time uh, being a bike courier. I've signed up with Postmates and uh, Uber Rush so that they can pay me to ride bikes. But that's just entirely because I like riding bikes. So yeah, that's fair. Might as well get paid for it if you like it, right? Yeah, absolutely. As long as course, people you know, want their food delivered in. Programming like years ago, and now like I hate this shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Right, nonsense. Programming's fun. Let's get paid to write it. Oh god, why won't they stop asking me to do stuff? I hate them. Shut up. It was a fucking semicolon. <laughs> um, moving on, uh, away from my <laughs> precarious taxes, is uh, a question I wanted to ask you guys. Did, did you see anything about the typed properties RFC uh, I put on the internets today? I saw that you worked the word turtle into the RFC. I was Obviously, I put the word turtle into the RFC. I'm only upset that I didn't put cider uh, or or bikes in there. Those are my There's still time, words. right? There's still time. There is still time. Um, seeing as the example is the property called bar, I want to put cider into the bar. Um, but uh, yeah, did you did you two spot this, or have you been too busy leading your own lives to notice shit I tweet? I saw. It's awesome. Yeah. I so, saw from Reddit. I don't actually follow you on Twitter anymore. 
<laughs> that's fine. That's probably a good thing, to be honest. Um, so obviously, uh, it needs to be said, Joe Watkins, once again, has, has done the actual implementation for this. So he's done the vast majority of the work. We're sticking to our strengths, as we do. Um, and his strength is writing amazing implementations and great features. And mine is writing a really long document and then arguing about it online for about a week. So uh, <laughs> between the two of us, we are an unstoppable team. Well, no. We we aren't unstoppable. We totally got destroyed on array off. Um, but like I said, that was a, that was a learning ground for me to work out how this RFC malarkey works. And then we got anonymous classes in. So so typed properties is the next situation. Um, the Chris that saw it, uh, what do you what do you think about typed properties? Do you like the fact that PHP is getting a bit more a bit more strictly typed, or are you scared? I, I'm a huge fan of strict typing. But what I like about PHP is that it's optional. If I want to do it, and as a library writer, I would love to do that because I don't have to do all these checks and conditions. And Because if I'm writing a library that thousands of other developers are using, and that just makes my life easier because I don't have to worry about type checking if, so, if a user uses it improperly. It's, it's just so much nicer for me. On the other hand, as a user, if I need to do something really friggin' quickly, which is why I love PHP, I don't need to do any of that shit. I can bang out something really quick, it works, it's done, it's a temporary solution, but that mean, just means it lasts forever in production. But it works! Yeah. You're really excited about the, the phrase, like, bang it in now, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> since I said that earlier, you've used it like ten times, you're fucking loving it. Um, <laughs> just bang a quick left over there and smash that on. People keep making fun of me for saying Oops. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, it's absolutely great. Like uh, with So one thing that gets people a bit confused about type properties... Uh, well, go back a, a quick second. Type properties, um, at the moment in PHP, with class properties, you can say public, private, or, or protected. Uh, you can you know give the vis visibility scope. It used to be var. They're probably getting rid of that. It's another RFC to actually remove it now. But, uh, var is old and bad, so public, protected, private, whatever. Maybe it's static, maybe it's not. But then this RFC proposes that you can put a type in. So int, string, boolean, um, class names, or interfaces, or anything you want, right? Any sort of type uh, you can you can put in there. So a lot of people say, well, that's a bit stupid. We don't need that. We've already got um, we've already got uh, type hinting with, with ints and booleans and strings and all that stuff as of PHP 7. We don't need to, to also have it because if you're passing in Properties should always be done via getters and setters or the constructor, right? Theoretically, so if you're if you're passing in um, if you're passing things in, you can type hint for an integer or a or a boolean or a string on the on the argument, and you don't need to set the property. But two reasons to that: firstly, is as much as you being a very good you know defensive programmer may never let people modify or access public properties. Yeah, you're not everyone. A lot of people do that, so that's one problem. Um, and the other problem is that not all properties in a class are directly coming in from the outside world. Sometimes you have computed values, right? Like you might not be doing a huge amount of work in your constructor, but you may well have some, you know, private method that does a little bit of work and, and, and does some stuff, and or even just do a, a quick mathematical operation in the top there. So there are cases that you may not think of as a super bravo, well done, awesome programmer, but there are a lot of cases where it would be really helpful for people that aren't. Um, not to say this feature is only only intended for, for for Muppets, but it 
it, I think it adds value and it adds consistency so as well. One case I think would be really useful, and tell me if it doesn't extend to this, would be like inheritance. Inheritance are um, a, a trait, you know, where you can go ahead and define it, and then the trait uses it. Yeah, for sure. Except properties and traits are terrible. Terrible, terrible. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Um, we have to be careful when having a conversation about, like, oh, well, you could use it for this, but that sucks. Yeah, a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of this area of stuff in PHP does kind of suck a lot. You could um, use it for PHP, but, you know, PHP sucks. Just let's all just, let's all just use Ruby like the cool kids. Um, well, I think to add on to what Phil says, like, okay, forget public properties and all that, but, like, if a method of mine accepts a higher function and I expect the return of that closure to be a certain type of value, and I just stuff it into my property that's private or protected, if it's not that type, now it's going to fail. I say in my API documentation, I expect your closure to return a certain type of value, and if you break that rule, I don't have to check it anymore as a developer. I shove it into my int-typed private variable, and if it doesn't match, then the script fails. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff's real handy. Um, I always forget about callbacks. I don't use them enough in PHP, or when I was still writing PHP, I didn't use them much then. So, um, yeah, that's that's an interesting use case. There was a bit of a quibble at one point because uh, that void might have been supported, and I had to explain that like a, a property that contains void is basically like saying, here's a lunchbox. You can't put food in this or anything else. You can't put anything in this lunchbox. Fuck off. They're like, well, I don't, I don't want the lunchbox then. Like, that doesn't sound very useful at all, to be honest. Um, so we definitely don't support void, even though it is a return type. Like, a return type, if right. you're saying, like, what comes out of that? Nothing. All right, that's cool. But, like, having a storage vessel that can't store doesn't seem very very helpful to me. So is there an optional, though, that would support, like, an int or void? Uh, there isn't really a type of void. Void just means, like, don't even try and push it in here. So um, okay. if you mean, like, in or, or null, uh, there, there isn't currently. So this is actually... What about mix? Because mix is a valid type. Mix is just don't... People are wondering if adding a specific mixed keyword would make mm -hmm. sense, but currently not specifying one is mixed, right? So if you just have... I would argue that it would make sense just so you're explicit. If the rest are going to be defined, you can define mixed. Yeah, this is true. Um, I think the way that I'm going to try and write it in the RFC is, at the moment, I, I don't want anyone to think there's any difference between mixed and and not doing something. Right. Right? Like that, that is confusing. People already by having like return null or just return empty, that confuses some people in, in other things and it's led to kind of trickiness going forward. So instead of doing the same thing in two different ways, just try and keep to one different way. Um, now, if we wanted in the future to say every single property must have a type, then you could easily say, okay, well, we're going to add mixed, and you need to start using mixed, and not having one at all won't work anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So I think just leaving it the way it is, specifying the type if the type matters. If the type doesn't matter, then just YOLO, it's mixed. Like, I think that is probably the best idea. Um, but a similar problem to what you were saying of when you want to have uh, int or null, perhaps, that's a really tricky one because we're trying mm. to avoid doing union types. Union type is like uh, just like dot block syntax, right? Where you have uh, int pipe float or int pipe right. float pipe null, <laughs> and you have it. Yeah, so I guess one that I use a lot in is bad syntax would be like probably string or maybe int or object or whatever are bool. So success would be a value, failure would be a false, and I use that a lot in my own code, especially like APIs. So I can see that being an issue. This is one of the this is one of the issues with not having function overloading, um, and depending on magic methods to overload functions is that sometimes it's actually just easier to make one function that accepts parameters of mix 
base types and returns mix types. Um, we see that a lot. So like functions, for instance, that return single ordered lists of, of database entities, you know, that's a really common that's a really common thing to see because making overloaded functions is actually a pain because you've got to have, you know, underscore, underscore call and, and do a lot of if statements in that. Yeah, uh, that's that's a whole other can of worms, though, when you start getting into overloaded functions. I, at the moment, am relatively glad we don't have them, but I would very much like to see um, getter and setters. Maybe not the same way that was attempted in the past because obviously that didn't work uh, or didn't get accepted for vote, but... Um, People are asking us to make sure that when we do typed properties, we aren't getting in the way of a potential uh, getter setter RFC. And I'm actually going to put some effort into not writing up the feature or writing up the RFC, but writing up how it could look in another way with this being done. You know what I mean? Because getters and setters can solve a lot of the problems. If you want to be able to have a property that can accept a, a numeric string or a string or, or an int or a float or whatever, loads of different types, um, then you can just have a, a dynamic uh, getter for that property that then says, like, oh, on the way coming in, we accept any of these values, and they all mean true, or convert it to a certain type, and that's fine. And that kind of solves some of those problems. But generally speaking, yeah, if you want to have a really flexible API that accepts a whole variety of different parameters, then you don't want strict types. Um, so it, it's kind of one or the other, right? At the moment, it's a bit mutually exclusive. You either are very specific or you're really fucking vague. And if you want to be vague, you can do that. Um, but we're avoiding union types just for now. Might come in sometime. And the cool thing about union types is if we ever did decide to want union types, then they would be added for um, type properties, return type hints, and uh, uh, type hints in, in arguments all at the same time. Right, so that would be like one sweeping feature that we could maybe add. Um, but for now, the way that it's working is a little bit awkward, and I'm, not, I'm trying to work it out. I'm not sure how you guys feel about this. We've got a few minutes. Um, at the moment, if you have, so you have three properties, right? And uh, they're both, they're all, so just say they're all integers. If you were to, in the constructor, set values, they're declined as, you know, uh, pub, uh, public, um, ABC, and none of them have values set. So they're just all ABC, nothing set like that. The constructor then sets two of them with values, one and two, right? But it doesn't set C. Uh, now, if you try to run this constructor, if you, if you instantiate a class, right, everything is fine. You've instantiated the class, everything's okay. You can access A and B, not a problem. If you try to access C, then it will throw a type error and say, whoa, 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 you can't access this because it hasn't been set. Now, that doesn't sound great <laughs> because it means that if you're trying to use this in code and other methods in, in other places, you have to do, um, you have to write a lot of guard code to, to be like, is, is this set? Is this set? And that's kind of the point of right. saying, like, this is definitely an integer. It's the reason we don't allow um, public int foo equals null because if it's int, then it can't be null, right? It's got to be a fucking integer and null isn't one of those. So if, if everything is... Um, Instead of containing null, it contains an error that's just waiting to blow up in your face the second mm. you use it. Um, that's kind of a little bit scary. And, and what some people have recommended is that if by the end of the constructor, not every single... Uh, not, if by the end of the constructor, all properties must contain a valid, a type valid uh, value, otherwise the constructor will throw a, an exception. That is... That's camp A, and that's cool. Camp B is, well, instead of 
these properties see just floating around, lurking, waiting for you to call it so it can blow up in your face and throw an error. Um, maybe if it's an int, it should be a zero, right? And it should it should contain type specific or type relevant uh, defaults, just like Go does. So Go will say, um, oh well, it's a string, and you haven't provided a value, so obviously it's not null. It's an empty string. Oh, it's an array. Well, you haven't provided a thing, so therefore it's an empty array. Those things sound really cool, and I was totally in in that camp. Call that camp B, until I realized, ah, fuck, you can have interfaces and classes listed as a type. So what do we do if you know this is meant to con contain a interface, but you haven't provided one? So instantiate a new abstract class or interface. Oh, that doesn't work. Fuck. So, so what, what, what do we do there? Construct has you know required first parameter. You can't instantiate it then. Like okay. if. Uh, Okay, so you have public other thing, other, right? So your class instantiates it by default. What if your the other thing is an interface or implementation, but its constructor has a required value first? How do oh, you... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're saying... Let's, that you let's, to, just make it, let's just yeah. make a dependency injection container to call. Right. Uh, so to explain what Chris uh, Chris Bodum was saying, yeah, if if you were to try to uh, camp B, right, where you you know create a relevant default, if you were to have some sort of class um, and you were to try and like auto instantiate the class, but then that class needed other stuff to set that up, and that maybe also required another class to set that up, then you're in this whole chain of madness. And yes, dependency injection can solve that problem but there aren't any de uh, dependency injectors kind of baked into, into PHP itself. So you end up trying to solve a much larger sea of problems than, than this RFC sets out. So I'm, I'm not sure so what, what approach you take. With these two options, I would definitely be camp A, but I guess the real answer, which increases complexity a lot, would be like camp C, where you add null, I mean nil, as like an actual type uh, response. Or yeah, so how Ruby handles that problem? Un undefined, as opposed to no, yeah. nil is usually null. Is usually the same thing, right? But I know exactly. Well, that's the same. language, but yeah, right. So the, it, I, yeah, but undefined would be a lovely type to ha to add. Right. But like that is unfortunate. That but it'd be like really can't put that in. And undefined is just an option for those. But yeah. Yeah. Because so PHP kind of uses Hathaway uses null for that, and Hathaway doesn't. It just kind of it's never really set. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's the problem they had with the return types. Uh, uh, yeah, return types, because um, people wanted to say, well, this this returns nothing. So if you try to store this value from this function, um, some languages would give you an error, but we're trying to be nicer than that. So they just say, well, this is going to return nothing whatsoever. So we'll put a null in there. And um, really, uh, that should be in, like an undefined, because there is no value. But there kind of is a value because it's a null, but it didn't return a null. But there's just there has to be a null because there's nothing else to put in there, right? This is this is really weird kind of situation that PHP gets itself into where it misuses null for undefined, but yeah. we don't have one, so we have to use something. So I I see two other options maybe, and one I think is what Ben meant or said. It's not null, it's nil n i l. So Objective C has this concept where they have a nil object, and it is type everything. But I did, uh, this is one of the things I didn't like about Objective-C. It was nice in that, oh, yeah, you know, I don't want anything, just throw a nil in there. But on the other hand, everything was instantiated as nil if I didn't provide it, and it would silently fail because nil is a null pattern that was universal to the language. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, uh, what about Alternative-C, though? What if the class instantiated everything, either with or without a default value? Um, I, I like the default value thing. I really think that's really good. It, it's it goes with PHP. It makes things easier. Um, but what about other thing? Like if you if there's a class type, it failed upon read if there was no value set. 
Like the the whole class can work up until you try to access this value. That's what it does now. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I kind of hate that, though. I hate that yeah. it's just waiting to blow up on you. Well, that's the thing. Which I mean, so if we're going to have types, we're getting closer to compile time errors, so I want it to error sooner. Like, that's kind of the whole point of having a type, is that you error yes. sooner. So, yeah, so most of it is compile type. Um, there's compile type checks and runtime checks, so most of it is compile time. But, of course, with something like a public property, it's really hard to compile time check that. Yeah. PHP, the compile time works on a... I'm pretty sure it works on just like a single class at the time, right? Can I compile this class? It doesn't jump around all over the place trying to make sure that all of the references are the same because that requires an autoloader to get involved and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, theoretically in PHP, like any random class could modify any random... Yeah, it's, it's just a JIT, so it would just be just what's the scope at the time. Exactly. So compile time checks just the class and goes yeah most of this looks okay but someone else could piss with it and and then if you know that's when you get your runtime checks as well so uh, it, it is a bit dodgy yeah because you it compiles so you think that most things are okay um, but then yeah you could like reference a, a, a property like if you if you run method really you shouldn't be arbitrarily changing properties definitely not outside the class but probably not inside either but theoretically you could run like method a and then method B and method A might change a pro uh, set of property, and method B might then call it. And if you do them in the wrong order, then your class just blows up. Right, that, that's shitty. Um, I really like the idea of not being allowed to create a class poorly. Like, that you can say new other thing, and it's not in a fit state to be used. Seems weird to me, like, until some later point where it just gives an error. Absolutely, and there's a lot of truth to that, and it's one of those things that if somebody was creating a brand new language or like starting PHP from scratch with the intention of being not a templating language, then that's the sort of thing that people might do, right? But kind of creating a class and saying, like, new chair, and you have to define a number of legs for the chair because otherwise it won't fucking be a chair, right? Like, that makes a certain amount of sense. You need to set these properties or it won't be a valid object. And I totally agree with that, but... Can we put that into PHP is kind of the question. Does that fit? Or is that like an arbitrary um, an arbitrary piece of policing on how you should write your code? When I haven't been writing code that way for a long time, someone's saying, well, if you want to if you want to make sure that this contains an integer, you have to change your whole fucking structure of your class. Sounds aggressive and strange, even though I agree with the idea of, of using, using it that way. Uh, a more realistic use case I was thinking of, though, was... Uh, like Phil said, you have properties A, B, C. Let's say they're all private. And the constructor requires A and B. So it sets A and B. Uh, but C is another type. And so in case one and two, you'd fail it. But what if C was an optional dependency? And you can set it after instantiation. That's something a lot of people do these days. It's like your constructor is required variables for this class to function whereas you can have some other setters later, whereas those are optional parameters that may or may not be used in the usage of the class. Yeah, so the, I think so that... The, so the allowed types for that private would be mixed, I think. Like, it could be null or null or void or whatever you want to call that, not having a valid value, and then the valid value as a type. So failing... Has Having union types, probably not defining a type for that private property and doing some type check inside your class seems reasonable. Yeah, that that also would be definitely with union types that would be easier because if you want to say you have to have one of these, um, then those those kind of 
if it has to have an integer, then you have to make sure that integer's been set before you finish the constructor, right? And then if, if you move on to your other properties, which are optional, then some sort of hack has um, a question mark before the type, right? So that's an array or a null. So so those will then become the kind of optional uh, properties, and, and it could validate validate the uh, validate the not optional ones and make sure they're there or the class will explode and then the other ones are optional and you have to check to see if they're there or not right that 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 might end up being kind of the approach it's definitely camp d or f or something but um it's it's a really interesting problem space isn't it because you think like oh yeah just make sure there's an integer in there but then also oh there's all this shit and then references not going to talk about references there's <laughs> It's an interesting feature. I'm interested to see where it goes, but uh, it's definitely not ready yet. Overall, though, I like it, Phil. Like it. One, yeah. one little hiccup that needs to be ironed out, but otherwise I think it's a great feature, and I really hope it makes it into the language. Cool. Yeah, yeah, we've got this one thing sorted out, and, and Joe is doing a cracking job. Like I said, I just kind of troll through all the things and, and pick out the feedback and stay on chat rooms and look and see what people are saying and try and ignore the people as they start foaming at the mouth because it's not the feature they wanted and I just DM him the occasional like oh can we just add this little bit and he's like oh yeah sure okay I'll do that and uh, it's, it's a nice nice bit of teamwork so I'm excited that he's helping me write stuff and get you know things into the language um, on that note I reckon it's about time um, about time to wrap this up now, something we usually do or occasionally do when we remember to try and be a vaguely professional podcast is we ask people if there's like a book or a website or a tool or any anything they'd like to recommend. You can you can pimp your own stuff to, to get you paid back for the hour that you wasted of your life, um, or you can or you can pimp somebody else's stuff if you would like to do that also. So, um, uh, Chris Bowden, would you like to to go first? Uh, sure, I was prepared this time. Ah. Yeah. So. Uh... My New Year's resolution, and this is not a new tool at all, uh, has been to learn Tmux. And I'm just into it, and I, I absolutely love it. It's a, it's a low learning curve, and it has increased my productivity so much. And it's not nearly the hassle I thought it would be learning. It's absolutely wonderful. And I've been around for like 50 years. <laughs> yeah, so Tmux, for those not in the know, is a command line kind of session sharing tool, right? And yep. there's loads of other ways of doing it, but they're all pretty complicated. And T oh, no, sorry, I'm thinking of Tmate. So Tmux is the old-fashioned, like, a little bit dirty, but it, it works really well. And Terminal teammate, multiplexer. Yeah, that's the one. And then Tmate is kind of like a nice fluffy thing on top that makes it a bit easier but I started looking at teammate recently and we have loads of developers down in like Colombia and Argentina and Brazil and the internet in a lot of parts of Colombia is just dog shit it's just dog shit slow um, so if you try doing a screen hero screen pair you're like oh look I can move my mouse on their screen but it breaks out after five seconds not a great situation so we use teammate to like yeah jump in the command line and I'm stuck using bloody vim and I hate it but it's better than nothing so Nice. Yeah, I'll put a link to the show notes in there for for Tmux. Is there a tutorial you could send me uh, send me a link to afterwards that would help, or or how um, have you been learning it? I am reading a book. Shoot, which I left at home. Um, I'll send you a link though. It's like the introduction to Tmux. It is about half a centimeter, or uh, you know, a quarter of an inch thick for you Americans, and it's just it's. I think it's on my Hack publishing. It's it's done by one of the small publishing companies. Great book, ten bucks, and it's you can read it at night. It's great. Nice. All right. Do you use uh, them as well? By the way? It's something I want to learn, and everyone who I've talked to who's learned it has increased their pro productivity, and I believe them. 
I just don't have time for that to learn it because it is a huge learning curve. The only one other known that used Tmux was a Vim user, and that was kind of their impetus for learning Tmux. So it's interesting that you don't. Yeah. yeah. Now, Vim is an editor. Tmux is a terminal multiplexer. I can see them working together very, very well, but for yeah. me, it's, it's a time thing and you know, one step at a time. I want to get to yeah. Vim eventually. Absolutely. There's the joke that I think I've butchered on here once or twice before, which is um, the average Vim user... Uh, what, <laughs> The average Vim user saves about five minutes of productivity a year by using Vim, but wastes about four days of their life by trying to convert other people to Vim. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's probably a slight exaggeration. I know people that love it, but goddamn, I don't want to be told about that right now. I don't give a shit. If I waste half my battery life on Atom, it works nicely. Um, <laughs> Chris, Chris uh, Pitt, do you have a thing or some stuff that you would like to, to you know, shout out on the podcast? In the theme of this uh, podcast talking about async stuff there are tons and tons of libraries and people I'd love to talk about but it seems kind of unfair to mention one or the other so uh, instead you can go to assertchris.io forward slash asyncphp and sign up to a mailing list where I will spam you once I've finished writing a book about it all Awesome, awesome. I'm, I'm glad that we got someone on here pimping their book. Um, I feel like I feel like uh, John Stewart um, asking, you know, interviewing authors only far less intelligent. Uh, thank you for the link in there. I'll jam that in the show notes. Because we've never pimped any books on this show before. So <laughs> definitely, I've definitely. I don't think I've mentioned my book. I, have I, I, didn't have I ever mentioned that I have a book out, and it's called it's called uh, APIs You Won't Hate. We've got a bunch of them right here. Hey. You're I, I really, I really admire your boats, gentlemen. That's kind of. <laughs> yeah. I, I bloody wish I had a boat. I've been trying to just pay off the fucking IRS for the last god knows how long. Anyway, Phil pimped that book last time I was on the show five years ago. <laughs> That's not true. I've only had it for like a year and a half. That's mean. <laughs> and it was only three years ago. What's going on with your concept of time? Are you high? Uh, I have been having a few beers. Okay, I'll let you off. Um, and speaking of letting people off, I have uh, a event in the in the East Village that I need to run away to. So, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show, guys. Uh, this was a great chat. Thanks about for stuff. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, guys.